You are listening to audio from Calvary Chapel, Monrovia. For more information, please visit www.ccmonrovia.org. Please open your Bibles with me to 1 Chronicles chapter 29. I'm going to finish, finish uh, 1 Chronicles tonight. It's our last chapter, and then we'll make our way into 2 Chronicles and continue our Wednesday night study through the Bible. But tonight... Um, Kind of the final chapter in Chronicles concerning the life and reign of King David. We've been looking in recent weeks how his kingdom has been winding down and just how he prepared everything to hand off to his son Solomon with a special focus on the preparation of building the temple. Prior to this temple being built, God was worshipped per the instruction that he gave Moses in what they referred to as a tabernacle. It was a very elaborate tent where God's presence was symbolically represented, and he was uh, to be met there by God's people. The priests would be ministering in the temple, the tabernacle. And it signified that God wanted to dwell with his people. And even when they moved during their years in the wilderness, the tabernacle was portable. It went with them. And God demonstrating his longing to be in relationship with his people. But then the whole process of that that priesthood bringing sacrifice, the need for atonement for sin, that, that need for covering in order to approach God, ultimately pointing to Christ and his ultimate sacrifice and what he accomplished in the heavenly scene, not just an earthly representation, but In the heavenly realm, Christ presented his own life, his own blood. He became the Lamb of God once and for all. We no longer have a priesthood mediating for us. He is our high priest. He has gone before us. He is ever seated now at the right hand of all authority, and he gives us access to come to God in relationship with him. God still longs to have relationship with his people. God still longs to fellowship. But here tonight, as we kind of close out David's life and reign, we see again just an emphasis on the temple. And uh, it's going to be built by Solomon. It's going to be glorious. But David has done so much preparation. And again, as we read about the the temple and all the the offerings that were presented, keep in mind this is really just a a symbol of God's longing and, and desire to have relationship with his people. The temple would become the the structure in the nation of Israel to replace the tabernacle, the temple, would, would become this place where God would meet with his people. Of course, you and I know we have become the temple of God. Because of Christ, we have become the dwelling place of God. But still, there are good lessons here for us. But keeping that uh, just picture of Christ in our mind and heart, even as we look at these things, let's take a look together. Begin it with me in verse 1. Furthermore, King David said to all the assembly, David now kind of saying his farewell to the nation and handing off the keys of the kingdom to his son and to the helpers that would help Solomon. My son Solomon, whom alone God has chosen, is young and inexperienced, and the work is great because the temple is not for man but for the Lord God. David had built himself a palace at this time. Solomon would also ultimately build himself a a more elaborate palace. But David is pointing an emphasis now. This this temple project, this 
work that we're joining together concerning the kingdom of God and God's relationship with us, this is not for man in a sense that we're not doing this for ourselves. We're doing this for the Lord. Now, it is for man in that we will meet God there. This is a place where we will have relationship. But this has to do with the kingdom of God, the things that God has priority on. And David is simply saying, listen, nation, come alongside Solomon. He's young. He's going to need help. But the work is important because it's God's work. Jesus would say, seek first the what? Kingdom of God and all the other things that, what are the other things? Well, all the other things that we worry about, what we're going to eat, what we're going to wear, provision, our life, our well-being. Jesus said, you know, if you'll put God's business first, if you'll make God's kingdom and his interests your priority, he'll take care of all the other items. And in a similar way, David is saying, look, nation, if you'll make God's work a priority, you'll see that God will bless you as a nation, as a people. All the other things that that we do sometimes get anxious about, God will see to those if you will align your heart with what's a priority for him. It's not for man. It's for the Lord, a place of worship for the Lord. And the work is important. The work is great. And I would say to us tonight as, as God's people, the work of God's kingdom is still great. It's still important. It's still uh, of, of greatest priority for us that we would, yes, we have our lives. Yes, we have details and, and priorities, and, and we all have things that we're concerned about. Everyone in here tonight has, its, has your own kind of priority and things that you're thinking about. But let us not forget this work of God that we have been called in these, in these last days to represent Christ to our generation to be the church, to be uh, those that would be messengers of the gospel, to be about the Lord's business. And uh, this, these are important things, not for man, but for the Lord. Verse 2, now for the house of my God, I have prepared with all my might gold for things to be made of gold, silver for things of silver, bronze for things of bronze, iron, wood, and so forth, precious stones. Verse 3, moreover, Because I have set my affection on the house of my God, I have given to the house of my God over and above all that I have prepared for the holy house, my own special treasure of gold and silver, 3,000 talents of gold, of the gold of Ophir, and 7,000 talents of refined silver to overlay the walls of the houses, the gold for the things of gold and the silver for silver, Uh, all kinds of work to be done by the hands of craftsmen, who then is willing to consecrate himself this day to the Lord? So again, David kind of charging the nation, look, come alongside my son Solomon. He's young. He needs your help. This This is an important work. And he says, I've prepared everything. As you know, I've been gathering all of the the resources that we will need to build this temple, to make it something of honor unto God. And he says, not only have I prepared all of the things, and we saw in earlier chapters that God actually gave David supernatural spiritual insight as to how he wanted the temple constructed and how he wanted the priesthood and the musicians and all things organized. But David says, not only have I prepared all that, he said, because I have such an affection for this, I have gone above, I've, I've poured even so much of my own resource into this work. Because I have set my affection 
on the house of my God. You see, David, it's, he says, I've added my own, what he calls, special treasure to the project. David has not just used his position as king to collect taxes and resources from the nation for this project. He says, I've, I've poured of my own resource into this work. I have such affection for the house of my God. Jesus would say, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So we just get a, a little reminder here of David. David, a man after God's own heart. David wasn't just a good leader trying to organize. David had a heart. He had a passion for this. He wanted God to be worshipped by his people. He wanted God to be honored. The same things that David had experienced personally in his relationship with God. And if you know the story of David, you know that there were so many times where he met with God. We read the Psalms and we read those intimate fellowships that David had through his life and journey with the Lord. Some were crying out for help, some pleading for mercy, some just tender affection and just rejoicing to be in God's presence. But we see that David had this relationship. And I think it spills over. When, when you taste that, you want others to, to know that, to enjoy that. Come and see that the Lord is good. Taste and see that the Lord is good. You know, if you've experienced God in a, in, a, in a spiritual way, and especially maybe even in a worship, you know, you long for others. You want to draw others. Oh, come. Come enjoy the Lord. He's good. He's been good to me. He's, he's met my life. He's changed my life. And David says, I've set my affection on this. This is what I care about. God being honored and exalted amongst his people. Oh, I pray that God would put that in my heart. I pray that God would put that in your heart. I pray that I would have such an affection for God, for his work, for his, for his kingdom, for, for his, his temple, his people, that it would, I would just give myself to that. Uh, in, in not just in a kind of a, 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 like David as a king, not me, just even as a pastor, but just everything that I am would be included and just throw myself into this good work that God is doing in my life, in our lives. And I, I pray that God would set that in all of our hearts. You see that David is vested. He's not an observer. He's not someone who just comes, does his part, and leaves. He is like all in. And he says, now, who then is willing? He looks to the nation. Look, guys, here's, here's how I've, I'm, I'm in. I'm all in. Who's with me? Who will consecrate himself this day? That means who will also set himself? Who will allow his heart to set the affection on the things of God? Excuse me. He calls the nation. Verse 6, Then the leaders of the fathers' houses, leaders of the tribes of Israel, Men, fathers, listen, call to leadership, setting the pace, setting the example. The captains of thousands and of hundreds with the officers over the king's work offered willingly. The whole nation steps up, and especially the leaders. They gave for the work of the house of God. 5,000 talents and 10,000 Derricks of gold, this would have been the sum total that was offered at this occasion. 10,000 talents of silver, 18,000 talents of bronze, 100 talents, 1,000 talents of iron, 
and whoever had precious stones gave them to the treasury of the house of the Lord into the hand of Jehiel the Gershonite. Then the people rejoiced, for they had offered willingly, because with a loyal heart they had offered willingly to the Lord. And King David also rejoiced greatly. We see the people respond. David says, look, I, I'm, I'm charging you, nation. This is, a, this is an important work. We have an opportunity. Let's do something for God. I've put all my resource in. I've collected all this, prepared everything. Who is with me? And the nation responds. And we see that they did it willingly. It says that they did it with a loyal heart. This means a, a, a real united and, and committed, devoted heart. And it says that they rejoiced greatly. This was not one of those shakedowns. This was not David guilting everybody. Okay, here's what I've given. Now what are you all going to give? Who's going to be first up here? To, you know, people, oh, God, pressure. You know, David King, oh, we better give. You know, you've had, you, maybe you've been in some of those services. Maybe you've seen that kind of represented even in, in, uh, under Christian ministry heading, saying, you know, give, 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 and you almost feel like you, they, they bleed you, right? Church has a little bit of a rep, doesn't it? Always asking for money. Well, here's David asking for money, and they did it willingly with a loyal heart, and they rejoiced. So there's something going on here that is more than just, you know, David kind of guilting people or making them feel obligated to do something that they don't want to do. I mean, that would be just the worst thing, is to try and, and, and get someone to give to God something that they really didn't want to give. What good is that? Don't you know the Lord sees the heart? You can give. It doesn't, we're not talking about amounts. You can give a, a, a great amount. If your heart is, is, you know, begrudging, it's worthless. Jesus called his disciples to, to take note of a woman who gave two mites, just a few pennies. Hey, guys, come here, come here. I want you to see this woman. Remember that story? They said, I'm telling you, she's given more than everybody not in dollar and dollar value, but in terms of her heart. Everyone else has given, he says, out of their abundance. What's left over, they've given to God. There's nothing wrong with that. But, but, but this woman gave even from her own, she gave sacrificially, even from her own sustenance. And so there, the Scripture is letting us know, look, this kind of giving, when it's inspired of God, when it's given to the work of God, it should be done willingly with a loyal heart and joyfully. They rejoiced greatly. Oh, we don't want to compel. We don't want to guilt. We, don't want, we, we want to say, look, the work is great. The opportunities and the fields are white for harvest. Let's come together and set our affection on the work of God. Let's partner in, in the work of the kingdom. It's our opportunity. Not because, you know, uh, God is broke and, and helpless, but because he's invited us to partner and to invest in eternal things with him. Look at verse 10. Therefore David blessed the Lord before all the assembly. And David said, Blessed are you, Lord God of Israel. Our Father forever and ever. I'm, I'm sorry, guys. I just got a little dryness in my throat tonight. Yeah, to set that down. Thanks. I noticed the heater. I hear the heater come on. And maybe that dry air is getting my throat. But 
Verse 11, God now blessing the Lord. Yours, O Lord, is the greatness, the power and the glory, the victory and the majesty for all that is in heaven and in earth is yours. Yours is the kingdom, O Lord, and you are exalted as head over all. Both riches and honor come from you, and you reign over all. In your hand is power and might. In your hand it is to make great and to give strength to all. Now, therefore, our God, we thank you and praise your glorious name. But who am I and who are my people that we should be able to offer so willingly as this? For all things come from you, and of your own we have given you. For we are aliens and pilgrims before you, as were all our fathers. Our days on earth are as a shadow and without hope. Lord, we're, we're just passing through. Our days are a blink. We don't own anything. We come, we go. God, everything is yours. Verse 16, O Lord our God, all this abundance that we have prepared to build you a house for your holy name is from your hand and is all your own. I know also, my God, that you test the hearts, and I have pleasure in uprightness. As for me, in the uprightness of my heart, I have willingly offered all these things. And now with joy, I have seen your people who are present here to offer willingly to you. O Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, our fathers, Keep this forever in the intent of the thoughts of the heart of your people and fix their heart toward you and give my son Solomon a loyal heart to keep your commandments and your testimonies and your statutes to do all these things and to build the temple for which I have made provision. What a prayer. What a praise. What, a, what an offering to God. But what insight David has concerning wealth, concerning finances, resources, concerning giving. I mean, there's some rich truth here for us. You know, as a church, we, we take offerings on a regular basis on Sundays. And when, when giving or money comes up in the Scripture that we're studying, we'll, we'll talk on it. We'll look at these principles. And tonight's one of those nights. But I think you know, it's not our main focus as a church. It's not our main uh, kind of motive that somehow raise money as a church. The church needs money, and God has blessed. And our people, you people, have been generous, and God has been gracious. But these principles, they're, they're, it's more than just about getting kind of money into the treasury. There's, there's insights here for living. You see, money can become an idol. Money and resource can become something that... that interferes spiritually in your heart. It becomes a distraction. It can be a lot of things, right? In some cases it's money, some cases it's lust, some cases it... These things that compete for the passion of your heart. And David's prayer here gives some key insights, and I, you know, just a few observations, some principles for us. First in verse 11, he says, all that in, is in heaven and earth is yours. Now, there's the first really important principle. God owns everything. Everything is His. The heavens and the earth, He made them. Well, this is mine. 
but I'm willing to give God some of what's mine. It's all his. Who are you kidding? You don't own anything. He owns it all. So he doesn't need, God is not like, like, oh gosh, I hope they come through tonight for me. You know, God is not worried at all. God owns it all. And you know, that's just a good foundation. This is one of the things we actually talk about when we do premarital counseling. You know, money becomes a big issue in marriage. How many of you know that? How many of you say, oh, amen, amen. Uh, you know, but this is a good foundation. To, look, you know, because when you bring two lives together, right? Well, this is my money, and now you want me to share what's mine with you? Well, how much do you have, you know? And, and we're going to pull it together. It's all God's. Start there. Whatever you bring is borrowed because God owns it all. It's a good foundation. That's the first thing that we see, David. God, everything is yours. Here we are making this offering, but Lord, I want to say first and foremost, you own it all. You know, I, we don't deserve any credit here. Like, we're, we're really coming through for you, God. You own everything. And he says also this in verse 12, both riches and honor come from you. So the first thing is, God, it's all yours. Secondly, everything that we have, it has come from you. Riches and honor, ability to make money. Ability to, to have resource, the ability to work, the ability to, to, to grow in, in finance, that all comes from God. God is the one who gives the grace for you and I, the provision for you and I. Didn't Jesus teach us to pray, give us this day our daily bread? It comes from you, Lord, every day. All provision comes from you. He says also in verses 14 and 16, of your own we have given you. All is from your hand and, all, and is all your own. So this is the right understanding of giving. Any giving is simply giving to God what is already His. It's simply, a, it's, it's a step of saying, God, it's all yours. How much can I, do you want me to have to live on? How much do you want me to give to whatever work and priority you have for me? It comes from you. I'm a steward. I'm just a manager of what God has entrusted to me. And so then, Lord, it's not for me to, to say, well, okay, God, I'll give you a little of what's mine. It's all yours. I'm giving you simply what is already yours. David is pointing this out very profoundly in this prayer. But he does say in verse 17, Lord, you test the hearts. And this is a test of, of the heart. You know, money has a way of, of testing the heart, doesn't it? Have you ever been around people that, you know, talk, talk, is, talk, talk is cheap, they say, right? They talk big, big, but when it comes down to actually spending the money, they're suddenly absent or silent or, you know, where, was, where were all the promises? Where was all the big talk? Where, now, right? You know this, right? You can, you've seen this sometimes. It separates friends. When it comes to the money, oh, that's when we find out what's really in the heart oftentimes. And sometimes money has the heart. And when money has the heart, God can't have the heart. Money's got it. 
And that, that greed or that, that insecurity or that, that worry, or that anxiety, all of that kind of consumes. And so, David, even in this prayer, Lord, it's all yours. We're giving it to you. And yet I know you test the hearts. This is a test for us. This isn't, Lord, you needing us to come through. This is you allowing our hearts to be right with you. This is a test of the, of the heart. And these are principles that I think flow right into our managing of resource here today. We simply give back what has come from him. And does it come from a willing, a loyal heart? That's the true test. And often money will, re- excuse me, will reveal it. Let's look on into verse 20 here. We'll close out some of this chapter and then just a few New Testament passages to look at and close with. Verse 20, then David said, so he's made his prayer, he's made his, his praise to God. Now he looks to the people again. David said to all the assembly, now bless the Lord your God. So all the assembly blessed the Lord God of their fathers and bowed their heads and prostrated themselves before the Lord and the King. This became this expressive worship service. And they made sacrifices to the Lord, verse 21, offered burnt offerings to the Lord. On the next day, a thousand bulls, a thousand rams, a thousand lambs, their drink offerings, sacrifices in abundance for all Israel. It became this great feast and celebration at this offering for the temple. Verse 22 So they ate and drank before the Lord with great gladness on that day. And they made Solomon the son of David king the second time. And they had already, you know, done it, but this became a formal celebration of it. And anointed him before the Lord to be the leader and Zadok to be priest. Then Solomon sat on the throne of the Lord as king instead of David his father and prospered. And all Israel obeyed him, all the leaders and the mighty men, and also all the sons of King David submitted themselves to King Solomon. So the Lord exalted Solomon exceedingly in the sight of all Israel and bestowed on him such royal majesty as had not been on any king before him in Israel. This becomes this official kind of coronation again of Solomon a great worship feast and praise to God. All the, the hearts are united. And that's another thing that takes place, I believe, when God gives people a, a kind of a common work to, to embrace together. The temple became kind of their, their focus point. And I think for us, it's the gospel. It, it's, it's coming together. We have our own facilities and, and gathering needs that that we are partnering in so that we can come together, worship the Lord together, and it unites us. But then the work of the gospel. You know, I think of the radio ministry. I think of uh, missionaries that we send. I I think of the opportunities that we have to do various outreaches. So we're united in these things together. We're partnering in this work. It's a great work. It's the work of God. It's the work of God in our generation. So yes, we come to ourselves, be nurtured and fed and and spiritually equipped and, and refreshed. But it's more than that, isn't it? It's more than just us coming getting what we need. It's us coming together and partnering in the work of God. What God is doing. You know, people do get saved at our services. Praise the Lord. 
We see people coming to faith. We see lives being rededicated. People are inviting people to come to, to the house of God. They come, they hear the, the, the gospel, and they, they come to faith in Christ. That's the work of God. That's what Jesus is up to these days, saving, spreading the word. Go, therefore, into all the world and do what? Make disciples, which includes preaching the gospel. <laughs> Make disciples, right? So that's what we're about, and that unites us. So we, we, we come together, and that's what, what's happening here for the nation. It becomes this occasion for the people to unite. Amen. God's going to be worshipped in this nation. And boy, David's praying, oh God, please keep their heart in this place as loyal and as willing and as, 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 as you know, focused as they are. Oh God, I pray that that heart will just stay with them. He knows the temptations. He knows the, the tendencies. And of course, the history plays out. They would in time drift away. Even his son Solomon would in time lose some of his passion. But, but, but in this moment, they're united. And David is praying for them. And Solomon comes to the kingdom. And uh, as we'll read in, in weeks to come, Solomon becomes uh, such a, a royal king for the nation. Uh, verse 26, thus David, kind of a summary for David. He comes to the end of his time here. Thus David, the son of Jesse, reigned over all Israel. And the period that he reigned over Israel was 40 years. Seven years he reigned in Hebron. And 33 years he reigned in Jerusalem. So he died in a good old age, full of days and riches and honor. And Solomon, his son, reigned in his place. Now the acts of King David, first and last, Indeed, they are written in the book of Samuel the seer, in the book of Nathan the prophet, and in the book of Gad the seer, with all his reign and his might, and the events that happened to him, to Israel, and to all the kingdoms of the lands. And this is certainly true. We have a wonderful history of David's life. So much scripture gives us the, the ups and downs of his journey. And he really has become something of a... Oh, a, a a lesson for all of us in, in our Christian and life and journey with God. Uh, the Scripture would even point to him as being, you know, a, a, a type of Christ in that he was a, a king and that he was a, you know, God, Jesus himself would become the ultimate king. But David's life just stands as a great story and testimony of God's faithfulness and a man who had a heart for God. And that, that, I think, is the, the simplicity of it. David, the real strength of David's life is that he had a heart for God. He loved God, and he really, and you see it right up to the end of his days here. He made a lot of mistakes. He definitely backslid. He got distracted. He got entangled. But in, in the foundation of his heart, he truly loved the Lord, and he was humble before God. He worshiped God. He would always repent, always come back to God, always keep his heart centered on the Lord. And that, over time, uh, brought great blessing. His, his, his life, his reign ends, and he passes the kingdom to Solomon. Okay, just a couple of New Testament verses here tonight, and then we'll close with some more worship. It does seem to be this um, topic in chapter 29 of how the people gave, how they did it willingly, with a loyal heart, cheerfully, and how that's commended, and how David just says, look, it's good that we're doing this, but let's remember that we're really simply doing what God has already given to us. We're simply giving it back to him. 
And a couple of New Testament passages that do speak on the subject of giving. And uh, we'll close with, with a couple of these tonight. I'll have some of these for you on the overhead. 2 Corinthians chapter 9. This is a passage that Paul talks to the Corinthian church about giving. And he, and he says a few things. But this I say, he who sows sparingly, and he's talking about giving finances. He's taking an offering from the church that he's going to use to help the church in Jerusalem. And he says this in his letter, he who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And he who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. A little kind of sowing and reaping principle. So let each one give as he purposes in his heart, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loves a cheerful giver. That's what we saw in David's time, a a very cheerful giving. And God is able to make all grace abound toward you, that you, always having all sufficiency in all things, may have an abundance for every good work. So Paul talks about giving, kind of practical. First of all, you know, don't sow sparingly, you'll reap sparingly. There is a principle that God does give into the hand of givers. Now, again, not to abuse that topic as it has been in Christianity today. You know, that's been used as some kind of a, hey, give and you'll get mentality and give for greedy purposes and and this these principles get distorted by those that would try to manipulate them for selfish gain and for improper you know um, ambition but let us not forget the truth of this that you know god does give you to give god he if you sow sparingly then you know you reap sparingly If you want to be a a partner in the work of God, give generously, and God will bless you. There will be a a generosity that comes back to you. So this principle, give, give generously. And also give purposely. Let each one give as he purposes in his heart. So it's kind of like on purpose. Think about giving. Not like, well, okay, they're taking an offering. What I got on me right now? Oh, yeah, okay, I can spare this. That's not really a purposing in your heart. That's just kind of loose change that you're willing to part with. And listen, we're thankful for that. Praise the Lord. You're doing something. Some don't even do that. But listen, think about what you're doing. Paul, Paul says, oh, give as a man purposes in his heart. You know, pray about this. this Lord, this, this is an important relationship that I have with you, this whole how I manage my resources. And, and you, you're testing the heart here, Lord. I need to be a good steward. So you want to be giving generously. You want to be giving purposefully. Purpose these things in your heart, not grudgingly or of necessity. So when purposing in your heart, not somebody manipulating you, not somebody guilting you, not somebody you know, shaking you down for it. No, you and the Lord have purposed this, and you do it with a willing heart. And when it's done that way, not grudgingly, not of necessity, Because God loves a cheerful giver. So give generously, give purposely, give cheerfully, willingly. You know, it's it's kind of hard to imagine that we could give any money willingly and cheerfully because that means I have less. How can that be good? But this is the test of the heart, isn't it? This is the test of the heart. To someone who thinks it's it's his and not God's, then that's a real test. But to the heart that knows it all, it's all his. It's, it's, it's just simply being a good steward. 
It's just being a good management manager of what God has entrusted to me, and I want to be faithful. I want to be faithful with these resources that God has given to me, and I cheerfully, willingly give to the work. That's what David said. Guys, this is a great work. So those are the things that we want to be a partner with. Lord, I want to be a good steward of the resource, but I want to give with a sense of being a partner with you in the greatest work of all. I mean, what else can we give our resource to that has this kind of promise, this kind of eternal consequence and impact? Now, there's nothing wrong with enjoying our resources. God gives us generously that we could enjoy. There's nothing wrong with vacation, recreation. I, I think these are blessings from the Lord. But let's be honest, those it's nice to create some good memories with those experiences, but they don't have eternal impact as our opportunity to partner in the work of God. So we give generously, purposefully, cheerfully. And then finally, I would say out of this verse we're looking at that you would give in faith. Look where he says, God is able, verse 8, to make all grace abound toward you, in other words, God can keep supplying you so that you will always have what you need, all sufficiency in all things, and an abundance for every good work. When you become this channel that God is working with, you become, not only do you become uh, stable, God supplies what you need, but God also supplies through you for every good work. And that's an element of faith, right? If I give, I will have less. I mean, that's just a mathematical reality. But if I give in faith, knowing that God is the one who gave it the first time, he can certainly give again and provide to my hand so that I can become a channel of blessing and he'll still keep taking care of me. So there's an element of faith. And this tests the heart, doesn't it? I mean, let's be honest, when it comes to the money, it, it's a test of our heart. And so learning to walk as a steward of God in faith and cheerfully partnering in the work that he enables you to do. And again, it's not about the, the, the doll, you know, how many zeros are, are the, the, the widow gave the most of everyone. She gave the least in terms of, you know, dollars and cents, but she gave the most in terms of God seeing the heart. So it's not required that we give what we don't have. It's only required that we be faithful with what we do have. But these principles apply at every level. Okay, last verse that I want to show, share with you tonight is in Romans chapter 12. Because this principle of giving to God, this principle of offering to the Lord is really more than, 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 than money. The money is probably just one of those small ways of measuring the heart. The real, real interest is the heart. That's what God is longing to have. Not your money, but your heart, your whole being given back to him. Paul says this in Romans 12, 1 and 2. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, 
which is your reasonable service. It's rational. It makes sense. He's done all for you. He's given to you. Now you give yourself to him. It's just the right response. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. So this principle that we're talking about tonight just in the financial world it applies even more importantly in the spiritual world of our hearts. And Paul is simply drawing that out in this passage in Romans. Romans, as you know, there's a lot of talk about what God has done for you in salvation. So much in Romans talks about salvation, talks about grace, talks about God's love, talks about God's mercy, talks about how we've been saved and redeemed and washed by Him and you know, rescued by him and how good God has been to us, how loving and how gracious and how he gave his all for us. And now I beseech you, therefore, in light of all this, brothers, by these wonderful mercies of God that I've been describing to you, you now present your doesn't say your money, doesn't say your time, doesn't say your, you know, your a few minutes a day and pray your bodies a li- give it all give yourself to god say god all of it is yours the money the time everything my career my my goal lord i am yours present your whole self to god as a living sacrifice holy acceptable to god that so, I means set apart You're acceptable to him because he's cleansed you by the blood of Christ. This is the reasonable service. It's that word reasonable. It it, it could be translated rational. It just makes sense. You know, this is chapter 12. After 11 chapters of explaining salvation and Christ and all that's been done, it just makes sense that you would now present yourself to him who loves you, who's rescued you, who's done so much for you, who has invested so much in you through Christ. It just makes sense that you would give yourself to him and not the world. Don't be conformed to the world. Verse 2 is a, is a perfect fit. Look, don't give yourself now to him, not to the things that, that were enticing and entangling and distracting you in the world. No, give yourself to him and be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove, that you may live out, that you may demonstrate that will of God. It all comes back to that work of God, and now it's personal. David said, help my son build this temple. It's a great work. Paul is saying, give yourself to God because what he's doing in your life is a great work. What he has for your life is a great work. It's the will of God being lived out by by these hearts that have been completely surrendered and given to him. Give yourself, not to the world, but to him, that you might show and demonstrate this good work of God, the love of God manifesting in a changed heart and life. Nothing quite like it, really. Nothing quite like a heart that is given to God. Boy, when you see that, when you, when you come across that, and when you experience that, it's like, Lord, that's, that's the best there is. 
that really is the greatest work of all, the work that you are doing in our lives by your love, by your mercy, for your glory. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you tonight for this passage, closing out First Chronicles, the life and reign of King David. And Lord, he, Chronicles gives us this picture. David goes out, really, uh, he goes well. And the nation is with him, and the hearts are united, and he's set a good example at the end, Lord. He's, he's put his heart not to the work of man, but to the work of the Lord. And that's, that's the legacy that he leaves his son. That's the, that's the emphasis that he wants to leave in the heart of the nation. Live for God. Worship God. Do this work. Keep God at the center and you'll be blessed. And so tonight, Lord, as we close and just prepare to embrace you in some closing worship, I ask that you would refresh our hearts tonight, that we would be reminded tonight, Lord, of this great work that we've been invited to. Firstly, Lord, the, the great work of salvation in our own hearts, this work of change, this work of renewing our mind and and kind of reprogramming us, God, to live for you, not like the world, not like we used to. Lord, you reset it all. New priorities, new, new things that are important to us. And that's the work of God in our hearts. And Lord, we just want to give, we want, I want to present myself to you tonight. Here I am, Lord. My whole heart, my mind, Lord, use my life according to your good plan and purpose. It's a good work. And Lord, even even not just our resources. God, take those, use those, direct those, but God, it's my heart and my life tonight that I want to present to you. As we're here closing tonight, I do want to give an opportunity if there's anyone here who just needs to come and present their heart to God and maybe even for the first time just receiving Christ into your life. You may be here tonight and you're hearing of this message we call the gospel, God's love for you, how God sent his son Jesus to die on the cross for your sins, that you might come and receive forgiveness and mercy and just present your heart tonight. You may be feeling like, well, I'm just kind of like that widow. I don't have much, but listen, come and give what you have and God is blessed to receive it. God is ready to receive and to forgive and to cleanse you. He's looking for sincerity. You don't have to go out and become something or clean, it up, clean your act up, get it all together, then come back. and No, just come as you are. Come and offer what you have. And just say, Jesus, I, I'm just a sinner and I need mercy. I need forgiveness. I need your grace to come into my life. If you're here tonight and you've never received Christ and you just need to do that, I, I do want to pray before we worship. Anybody here tonight, you want to receive Christ, just raise your hand, let me see you, and I'll pray for you. You need Jesus tonight. You want to present your heart to him for mercy and cleansing. Up in the balcony, God bless you. Any others, Lord, speaking to your heart, you just, just want to present yourself to Christ tonight to receive mercy. Amen. The very back there, God bless you. He loves you. 
He loves you. Anyone else? Is that a hand? God bless you. No, I don't know. <laughs> Any others? Just before I pray. So, Lord, for these hearts responding, I know that you, you embrace them tonight with love and mercy. And, Lord, that's, that's really all we can offer. We can only offer our hearts as they exist, our lives, Lord. They're broken. We're sinful. We come and we present them to you and we say, Jesus, please cleanse us. Please forgive us. We believe that's why you went to the cross, to pay the price for our sin. We receive that tonight. These hearts, Lord, I pray that you would meet them. And you, you that raised your hands, just let this be your prayer. Jesus, forgive me. I'm coming and presenting my heart to you, and I'm asking you to cleanse me and to embrace me in your love. I need it. I want to give myself to you. I've, I've been giving myself to the world. It's time to just surrender to you, and I'm asking you to fill my heart with your love and your spirit and bring me into a new, right relationship with you. I thank you, and I receive it by faith. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to audio from Calvary Chapel, Monrovia. To view and listen to more sermons, please visit www.ccmonrovia.org.